All right, good morning. Great to see everybody. It's a great weekend. I've enjoyed this weekend so very much. But if you'll allow me, I'm going to save all my uh, remarks regarding my gratitude and how much I enjoyed the weekend till our final hour together. So if you just allow me to do that, I would greatly appreciate it. Let's jump straight into our study this morning. If you have the Heavenly Library with you, let me invite you to take down the Gospel of John and go to John chapter 18. John chapter 18. I want to begin with a story, something that you may be very familiar with. Have you ever held somebody in extreme high regard and you just couldn't wait to hang around them a little bit? And when you got to get around them, you're kind of in awe and it's so cool to be with them. And then they say something to you that makes you go, what? I don't know you at all. Have you ever had that happen? Happened to me uh, about nine years ago. I was uh, in a meeting down in the Tampa area, and it was at the Valrico congregation, and I had the privilege to hang out with someone I had always looked up to, just loved his writings, loved his teachings, loved to hear him preach. His name was Marty Pickup. And he was kind of the scholar of scholars in my eye, and, and, and I loved to learn from him, but I never got to hang around him until the meeting. And he said to me on Sunday, he came up to me, he goes, Phil, have you got some time this week? Would you like to eat lunch? And I said, like, yes. So uh, he came by and picked me up wherever I was staying, and I jumped in the car with him, and, and we're riding off to go eat lunch together, and we're just having a very pleasant enjoyable conversation. I'm thinking the whole time, I'm with Marty. This is so cool. I'm with Marty. And we were just enjoying the day, and the subject turned to politics. Nine years ago, it was an election year, and as you know, every election is the most important election in the world. If we don't get it right, we're all just going to be doomed, right? That's the way it is. And so I can't remember exactly what I'd been saying or talking about, you know, blah, 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 whatever was coming out of my mouth. And then Marty goes, Phil, do you really think that a democracy is the best form of government? And I'm like, what? You know, it's one of those outer body experiences where you don't really say what's on your mind. And I'm like, what? Dude, man, I grew up in Texas, son. I was a Boy Scout. Man, we saluted the flag even when the flag wasn't up there, man. It's red, white, and blue. We're a republic. We're involved. We're patriots. And, and I, I, I didn't say all that. I just kind of smiled and went, Marty, please explain. And Marty goes, well, what if, what if it wasn't a republic? And what if all of us couldn't make the decision on our own? What if you had a king? And the king made all the decisions for you. And I was like, oh, man. Now I was kind of thinking, how fast are we going here? I think I'm going to jump out of this car right now. Are you a socialist? Even worse, you're a monarch guy? You think a king? Don't you realize that's how America started? We were running from a king, man. I didn't say it. I didn't say it. I went, Marty, please explain. <laughs> and he goes, what if the king was not just a good king, not just a great king, but a sacrificial king who every intention, every thought, 
every decree, every ounce of his being was centered around what's truly good for the people and not himself. In John chapter 18, we actually read about a king. And we read about a king who is actually on trial. And when we get to verse 33, we find that this king is before Pilate. And, and, and Pilate, so just so you understand the context here, Pilate isn't necessarily the king, but he represents the king. He is the dignitary who is in charge of the region that you know as Palestine today, Caesarea. And he's the man who is there to keep things in order. He is there to represent the emperor himself. He is there at the will of Caesar. And so everything that he does, every remark that he makes, every command that he decrees is representing the king himself. He is one king, but on the other side of him, the man who is on trial is another one who claims to be king. Now, here's what you got to understand also. We sometimes have it in our mind that Jerusalem is where Pilate's domain had its headquarters. It really wasn't. He was really from Caesarea. That's where his real main office was. The only reason he's in Jerusalem at this time is because there's been talk of an uprising. There's been talk of a new king. And this was nothing new. The Romans had been dealing with this for a long time. There was always somebody from the Jewish descent who would lead an insurrection, who would lead a rebellion, claiming to be a king, and the Romans would have to come in there and just squash it. Well, that's what Pilate's thinking. He's got to do this time. There's been talk of this Jesus. Everybody loves him. He claims to be a king, and I got to show up just to make sure everything's kept in order. And now he's there with the king beside him. And Pilate's a little confused. Because here's what it says, verse 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters again, and he called Jesus, and he said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Now, I want you to stop and think about this. Sometimes when you read scripture, you're just kind of reading through a story. You don't really slow down and let it sink in. You don't really listen to probably the way the person maybe said something. I, I, I don't see Pilate just coming across very judgmental. You're the king of the Jews? I see Pilate almost looking at him and going, you're the God? Are, are <laughs> you? Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, do you say this on your own accord or did others say it to you about me? In other words, are you drawing your own conclusions? You're just going off what everybody else says. And Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? I'm a little confused here. You know, if, if you're the guy everybody's saying to be the king, then why are your own people turning you over to me? Why are the guys who are in charge sending you to me? I, I'm really not getting this. I came here to scroll some rebellion. I came here to give ease. And whoa, this is not making sense to me. And Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. 
First thing I want you to see and understand here is Jesus is making a very powerful declaration that doesn't make sense to the average man. My kingdom is not of this world. I, I, I sometimes look at that phrase and I think to myself, oh, well, obviously he's from heaven. He, he's a heavenly king. He's a heavenly kingdom. Therefore, it's, it's, it's not the average man-made kingdom. It's something coming down from heaven. But I don't know if that's exactly everything that Jesus meant by that statement. What Jesus is actually saying is, my kingdom, the kingdom that I'm establishing, is not set up like other kingdoms are set up. It is not ruled like other kingdoms are ruled. In fact, it's not of this world. Here's, here's an example, Jesus says. If my kingdom was set up like other kingdoms, then my servants would be fighting, right? I mean, isn't that exactly what Peter wanted to do? By the way, do you really want Peter in a sword fight with you, you know? God bless him. And, and I, I struggle with the disciples. Even when they're trying to fish, they're always mending their nets. Even that you had to worry about, you know? But they weren't fighters. And Jesus says, that's not what I want them to do. But my, my kingdom is not a kingdom that is set up by force. In fact, there's many examples of this. He's going to rebuke Peter when Peter does try to fight. Put the sword away, will you? And Jesus actually heals the man that he wounded immediately. Uh, you think of his triumphal entry when he rode into the city. This is the big arrival of the king. Remember that? The first day of that week? The arrival of the king. And he comes in and is he riding on a huge, nice, beautiful steed? Is he, is he on a chariot that is just loaded? Maybe 44 horses running in front of him with a big entourage and everybody. No, no. He came in on what? What was he riding? Like a donkey, man. I mean, it's like, Really? That's not very powerful. And how's he dressed? Is he dressed in big kingly robes? No, he's dressed like a carpenter. Very humble. In fact, he, he, he goes into the city, and if he's really a worldly king, then the first place he would go, he'd go to the palace, and he would start a revolt. Let's revolt. Let's revolt. Down with the king. Down with the king. In with the new. He'd get everybody all fired up. But what did he do? When he went into the city, where did he go? Did he go to Pilate's place? Did he go to Herod's place? No, where'd he go? Went to the temple. And then that night, he takes off to Beth, Bethany and hangs out in a common house. You go back to John 6, and you don't need to turn there, but remember when he fed the 5,000? And by the way, every time Jesus showed up at a potluck, do you know what he always brought? Fish. The Lord knows how to cook fish, now I'm telling you. That was his go-to meal. And he fed everybody. Do you remember what it says in the text? And knowing that they wanted to make him the king, he ran off to the wilderness. If you're going to really use your leverage to establish your reign, that was the time. But Jesus says, my kingdom's not of this world. You know, history has shown us, history's shown us, Christians have greatly struggled with this concept. 
Look back in history. Go back to the Crusades. And what were the Crusades all about? Establishing the reign of the king. We're going to go and fight. We're going to kill people. We're going to go and slay people so that we can establish Christendom. And it's really not that much different today when you think about it. Granted, we may not be physically killing people, but we verbally slay them. And we've turned Christianity into many places into a big business, into a big political rally. If we're going to establish the kingdom of our Lord, we we better protest. We better fight. We better rise up. We better not let them take over. We got to fight, fight, fight. And Jesus goes, no. No, this is not a kingdom established by force. In fact, what you see is he's always going to run away from that kind of domain. So he's kind of saying to Pilate when you get back to the text, Pilate, I don't know what you're thinking, but I'm no threat to you. I'm no threat to Caesar. I'm even no threat to Herod as much as he disgusts me. Because my kingdom is a kingdom like no other. But don't miss this. I'm still a king. I'm still a king. Verse 37. Then Pilate said to him, So you're a king? <laughs> I gotta tell you, <laughs> it's kind of a make believe magical thing you got going on here, man. I don't know what you're thinking. So you're still claiming to be a king, right? And Jesus answered, You say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. You see, his kingship is also like no other because the, the followers of his kingship, those who are willing to submit to his reign, are not going to do it because he forced them are not going to be do it because he passed some legislative law, are not going to do it because they feel obliged to do it just because he's more powerful to them and they want something. No, they're going to do it because he's so gracious. And they're going to willingly follow his leadership. Uh, think back to where his ministry began. His ministry began a lot like John the Baptist because Jesus preached the same sermon. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Where did he get that sermon? He actually got it from John the Baptist. In fact, actually, I'll tell you this. It's never wrong to preach somebody else's sermon. Jesus did it, right? Repent, repent. Why? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom is coming, and you need to change your heart. This would be his message. And, and you think back to his first sermon. Remember the first great sermon that we have recorded, the Sermon on the Mount? Isn't it interesting, he claims to be a king, but not once does he target the kings of this world. Not once does he heap and harp on all the problems of the day. The, the, the Jews want him to say, hey, if you're really a king, deal with these taxes. If you're really a king, deal with Romans. If you're really a king, take away this oppression. And Jesus said, I didn't come to change everything in the world. I came to change you. I came to change hearts, not necessarily circumstances. And so he preaches about character. He preaches about loving your neighbor, 
loving your enemies. Don't seek the glory of men. If it's Caesar's, give it to Caesar. If he wants it, give it to him. But what belongs to God, give him. Don't live with anxiety as the world lives, fretting and and fearful of everything that happens. You put your confidence in me. And he taught parables, parables that would cut to the heart, parables that were even hard to understand. And, And what Jesus does is what no king ever does. Anybody who wants to be a leader today, the first thing they come in and they start promising prosperity. You elect me, king, then you're going to make more money. You elect me, king, and then I'm going to provide for you in a very physical, monetary way. Jesus says, I really don't care about physical things. In fact, if you don't even get them, I'm okay with that. I want you to be content with what you have. And I want your trust not to be in princes and horses, as the Psalms remind us. I want your trust to be in me. (laughs) If Pilate wasn't confused before, (laughs) he's really sitting here going, really? This is what all this is about? But notice what Jesus does say. I'm still a king. If you uh, go to the end of the gospel of Matthew, remember the Great Commission? Go into all the world, you know? Remember what he said? Remember what he said? Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you. And lo, I will be with you, even to the end of the age. But do you know how that began? Anybody remember how that began? All authority has been given to me. In heaven, and where else? The earth. Uh, Just because I'm not claiming great riches... Just because I don't yield and wield my force as the world does, I'm still a king. And I still provide for those that I love. You see, Jesus didn't come to raise a literal army. He didn't come to drive the Romans out of Palestine. He didn't come to establish for himself a fortified palace and secure himself for a few decades of reign. No, his kingdom was far more powerful, far more glorious, far more enduring than any earthly kingdom. You see, his kingdom is literally not of this world. It's a kingdom that has no borders, but yet it goes everywhere. It's a kingdom that is not limited by a map. It's not limited by a culture or a race or a gender or a social economic standard. It is one that is flourishing in hearts everywhere, in every land, among any place, at any time. It is flourishing in all the hearts of those who will yield to him as king. It's in the churches. It's in the palaces. It's in the factory. It's in the schools. It's in any place, in any time, among any people who will yield to his kingship. And his kingship is not established by force, but it's by grace. And it lives in the hearts of those who understand 
the power of His grace. Uh, In fact, those who are in His kingdom, they're not called subjects. They're not called the little people. They're not called constituents. They're called beloved. They're called saints. They're called living stones. They're called those who are citizenship is in heaven. And as he looks out among those who are around him, he says, they are my brothers and my sisters. Isn't that something? So here's the big question. (laughs) You mean you're not promising me money? When you're not dealing with all the physical circumstances of life that I'd love to just go away and somebody can come in and triumph over this and deal with all these, then why, and you got to imagine Pilate here, (laughs) why would anybody follow you? (laughs) Why follow this king? John 8, verse 38. And Pilate And Pilate goes out to the Jews and he says, I find no guilt in him. I I can almost see Pilate kind of smiling going, y'all think this guy's a threat? I find nothing wrong in him. He's not trying to take over my place or Caesar's or anyone else's. I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release for you one man at the Passover. So who do you want me to release to you? You don't want me to release to you the king of the Jews? You want me to release to you this guy, this meek, humble, gentle guy? And they cried out, not him. Not the meek guy. Give us Barabbas. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. There's got to be a part of us that's going, really? You want the guy who's literally documented as being a murderer and a robber? He probably was an insurrectionist. He was probably one of those guys who was going to come in and fight for him. Probably some political guy. But really, you're choosing him over Jesus? Yeah. Yeah, we are. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. That's a very short, simple verse. You know what a flogging is? They took Jesus and they flogged him. I read that in two seconds. But that was something that took anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour to carry out. where the suspect is stripped of his clothing, laid up against a post, stretched out with his back taunt. And a brute of a soldier takes a whip and lashes the man, hitting him over and over and over again. Some men died from it. And then the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns. They put it on his head. They arrayed him in a purple robe. They came to him and they said, Hail, King of the Jews! (laughs) 
you're the king, please, hell king of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. You ever been punched in the face? I have. It hurts. That my brother and I fought all the time. We finally came up with the rule, no more hitting in the face. Flogged, bleeding, they struck him. And Pilate went out again and he said to them, See, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know I find no guilt in him. This time Jesus looks completely different. He's bleeding, literally from head to toe. He's probably having to lean on the railing just to stabilize himself. I'm bringing him out to you. I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns, the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold, the man. The man. And when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they said, Crucify him. That's not enough. It's not enough to beat him. We want him dead. Crucify him. Crucify him. And Pilate said, You take him yourselves and you crucify him for I find no guilt in him. And the Jews answered him and said, we have a law and according to that law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. It's not, all, it's not about being a king anymore, all right? The king thing didn't work. You're not buying the king thing, Pilate. We were trying to tell you, he's trying to be a king. Pilate, I'm not buying that. Well, here's why you should kill him. Our law says he claims to be God. That's why you should kill him. You kill him for our sake. He claims to be God. And so Pilate brings him back inside. Now he's a little scared. He's, Pilate said to him, uh, uh, he heard this statement, he's even more afraid. He brings him back, where are you from? You're a God? Wait, wait, wait a minute. Wait, wait a minute. Now that's a scary thought. And Jesus gave him no answer. And so Pilate said to him, you'll not speak to me now. Now you're not talking. Do you not know I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, you would have no authority given over me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. I want you to see and understand why. Why would anyone follow this king? Why would anyone follow him? Because he serves like no other. He has all the power in the world to take this throne by force, but he won't do it. Remember, he fed thousands with simply a prayer. He healed with simply a touch. That's why the Jews were so upset. He has all this power, and he's not using it to help us out in the way that we want him to help us out. That man is a fraud. Jesus goes, no, I'm using my power in a much greater way. You see, you see this meek? Half-dead man thinking he's weak. Mm -mm. That's his most powerful moment. He could have called 12 legions of angels to come and fight for him, but he holds his tongue. Because the king is giving the people what they need more than anything else. They need a lamb. And no man can do it. 
<laughs> no man's willing to do it. But he will. For the Son of Man has come not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. I submit to you. What's the best form of government? A monarch. That takes away all the politics. That takes away all the corruption. That takes away all the positioning. Because if you have a king who is like no other, who serves like no other, who every thought, every intent, every motive, every action is for the benefit of his subjects, even when they don't know what's really good for them. He does. And he gives it through himself. The question we have to ask ourselves is, is that the king we want? Is that the king we want? Who is looking beyond this world, who's looking to eternity? Who gives us power that goes much, much, much deeper and much farther than any power man can wield? Who gives us comfort, much more comfort than any man can give? And gives us peace. If you read on in the story, what's amazing? <laughs> this is what's crazy. The Jews who were hoping for a king to come and take out the Romans, you know what they would say to Pilate? We have no king but Caesar. Because we don't want a king like this. But Jesus says, I want to be your king, but I'm not going to force you. I want to enlighten you. I want to move you to recognize what I offer. And when you know you have this kind of a king, you have everything you need. Jesus would say this to his disciples after they left the upper room and probably on their way out to Bethany. In this world, you will have trouble. Oh, isn't that true? <laughs> Amen. Yeah. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Take heart, my brethren. Your king has overcome the world, and so have you when you put your trust in him. Marty. Boy, he threw me. <laughs> I said, oh, my. But when he got done with these thoughts, I couldn't help but think, yeah. Not only is it the best form of government, get this, it's what we got. Praise God. We have a king 
like Jesus. Thank you so very much for your kind attention. God bless you.